Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. If you have no idea where the Psalms are, please feel free to use the table of contents or go to your Bible kind of roughly in the middle. You should be in Psalms and find the one with the big number 103 at the top. And so remember, we're in the Old Testament this morning. What we're doing is a study over the past few weeks and for the next few weeks over the summer, doing a study through the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, which reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This morning, we're focusing in on the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. And we're going to use Psalm 103 and a few other verses from around the Scripture to kind of round this out and help us understand this fruit of the Spirit. And as you're opening up there to Psalm 103, remember in the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament says someone is coming. And so this is pointing forward to the coming of Christ. And as you're opening there, you may have heard that phrase, patience is a virtue. Have you heard that before, that that phrase, patience is a virtue? And it's commonly believed that that line originated from the poem called Piers Plowman, said to have been written around 1360 by an English poet named William Langland about a man in search of faith. And one line in the poem states that patience is a fair virtue. And over time that's been kind of narrowed down to patience is a virtue. And when you hear that word patience, you probably think of just being content to sit and wait for something to happen. Kind of like fishing on a pond with a bobber. You know, we say that kind of fishing takes a lot of patience, does it not? You sit there on the dock or on the shore and you throw the line out and you watch the bobber and you just kind of wait patiently for something to happen, right? But what if the biblical fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about this morning actually resembles something different than that? About a decade ago, a funny commercial came out that showed a sideline ref being chewed out by a coach at a football game. And we've all seen this happen before. If you've ever watched any sort of sporting event and a call goes against one team, especially on a on a, um, on a football game, you know that you have that sideline ref, and oftentimes he's the closest one that the upset coach can get to, right? And so the guy in the middle of the field may have made the call, but he's the one wearing the black and white, and he's right there. And so you may have seen the coach go over and take his headset off, and it's just absolutely wearing that sideline ref out. Is in his face. If you're good at, at reading lips, there's usually not very charitable language. They're not having a, a nice, easygoing discussion. And as you've, if you've ever noticed there, I've always been amazed by those sideline refs that are able just to like endure just that coach literally in their face and in their ear the entire time, and they just kind of patiently endure it and stoically look ahead because, as you know, it only takes a couple of minutes for that ref that was once being chewed out to now suddenly be the hero when the call reverses and goes the other way. And so we've all seen that happen. And if, you've, if you have ever been a referee or an umpire in a game before, I have, You know how hard it can be to keep your cool while people berate, insult, and threaten you from the sidelines. And we all know that patience is hard because we're naturally impatient people, are we not? Because the heart of sin is this, I want what I want when I want it. I want what I want when I want it. It's like if you've ever, if you've noticed this, if you've ever planted seeds with small kids before, 
you know that especially over the summer, you know, a lot of watermelons are getting eaten. And what do you do with the seeds? More than likely, if you have small kids, you're going to go out and they want to plant one of those watermelon seeds. And as soon as you plant the watermelon seed, you say, we need to put a little water on the seed. And when do the kids want the watermelon to show up? Instantaneously, right? They want, well, I put the seed in the ground, I watered it, so, you know, like, we're going to have a watermelon tomorrow, right? And you say, no, that's not how that works. You have to do a, you know, a basic lesson in how seeds work and how that, it takes time, and I'm sure patience is part of that. But the patience that Paul refers to in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, is, actually resembles the story of the ref being chewed out on the sidelines. It's patiently enduring hardship. Patiently enduring, as we just sang about, the depths of woe from all their sin and sorrow. Patiently enduring the effects of sin. Patiently enduring hardship. And it's easy to make ourselves learn how to wait patiently for good things, right? So you say, hey, we're going to go get some ice cream, or hey, we're going to go to this concert next week. It's, it's kind of easy to help us to make ourselves wait for a good thing, Right? We can kind of say, okay, I'll wait, I'll, I'll hold out because I know ice cream is right around the corner or donuts or Chick-fil-A or Bojangles in my case. You know it's coming. You're like, I'll wait patiently because I know it's coming. But it's hard to patiently endure relentless opposition and put up with the weaknesses of others instead of retaliating and fighting back. And this is why we need the Spirit's help. This is why this has to be a fruit of the Spirit. This is not something that we have in and of ourselves. It's hard to wait in the midst of this. Because this type of patience has to be given to and grown in us by the work of the Spirit. And so, if that is actually a better picture of the fruit of patience, what if we were, were to realize that God is actually the ref in the commercial and we are the ones doing the yelling on the sidelines. Would that change the way we think about it? How would that better help us to better understand the patience of God? How would that picture deepen our understanding of the gospel and the love of Christ for his people? That's what we're going to explore this morning with that idea of patience in our mind. Let's now go to the scripture. We're going to look at Psalm 103. We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to kind of focus in particularly on a few verses and touch on a few of the others. But let's now hear about the patience of our Lord this morning. So let's look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone." 
and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His coasts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to His word. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, we are grateful for these reminders of your grace and your mercy and your long-suffering and your patience. And so, Father, as we consider your word this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move and change and challenge and convict. Please don't leave us where we are, but Lord, help us to learn more of you. We pray and ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, as we look at this psalm this morning, this psalm is a hymn of praise and thanksgiving. You know, different psalms have different genres. Some are individual laments and community laments. This one is a hymn of praise and thanksgiving, which celebrates the abundant goodness and mercy of God. And you'll see that it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. This word bless, which means praise or bow before or kneel before. It's kind of this imagery. It's kind of a royal word. So bless the Lord, praise, kneel before the Lord, O my soul. And this psalm is laid out in four main sections with kind of a call to praise as the bookends. You'll notice it starts, bless the Lord, and then the last few verses is this, bless the Lord. And in the meantime, there's four main sections. And so uh, what you have in in, in verses 3 through 6 is an explanation of what God has done. In verses 7 through 14, it's a description of what God is like. In verses 14 to 16, we see what we are like. And in verses 17 to 19, we see why we need God. And those are then bookended by these calls to praise and response. And so the beginning of this praise is remembering God's holy name. Look at how we start in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. And we're also called to remember all of His benefits in in verse 2 that flows out of the reality of verse 1. That He's holy and He's high and lifted up. But now what? We have this kind of listing of benefits. We're called to remember this. So what what are some of those benefits? Basically, verses 3 through 19 is a list of some of these benefits as we look. We see the benefit of forgiveness and redemption and steadfast love and mercy and healing and filling us up with good things and satisfying our soul and working righteousness and justice. The psalm goes on and on with a forget not all of his benefits, forget not of all the ways that God has moved and worked, and it's a recounting of the faithfulness of God. And in verse 7, David recounts the faithfulness of God towards his people in the Exodus account. It says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Kind of brings our mind back to God's work of deliverance in the Exodus account. And in verse 8, which says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's a reference to Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 6. And to how God described himself to Moses when the second stone tablets were cut after the people worshipped a golden calf instead of Yahweh. You remember in that moment, 
God gives His people, He extends His grace yet again as they have gone and they have worshipped the golden calf. And right at that moment, He could have wiped them out because His justice demanded that, but He didn't. What He does is He says, well, let's cut another set of tablets. And the way that those worked, you're like, why in the world could not all the commandments fit on one tablet? It's actually two copies. One was to be kept by the people to be recounted and dwelt upon. The other was to be placed in the Ark of the Covenant that was to live in the temple. So each party had a copy of the Ten Commandments. And so the Lord gives another opportunity for these tables, these tablets to be cut. And in Exodus 34, 5-6, says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Over and over and over again, we see the patience and the kindness of the Lord, especially in the Exodus account. What did the people spend a lot of time in the Exodus account doing? Grumbling against the Lord, right? Have you ever wondered why that name of that book is Deuteronomy? What a funny, funny name. Why is it called that? It's actually Deuteronomos, second law. It's basically the book of Deuteronomy is, another way to put that is massive second chance. You see the grace of the Lord over and over. That's what the whole book of Deuteronomy is about. God renewing his covenant with his people who had messed up and grumbled and shaken their fist at him. And so as we examine this fruit of the Spirit, patience, this morning, we need to understand that it's kind of like a diamond. It's, It's more than what it just seems. And it has multiple facets that when you put it together and you kind of spin it around, you get a brilliant picture of this rich, complex, biblical idea of patience. It's so much more than us sitting on the side of a pond with a bobber. It's a rich, deep, complex thought. And so in the Greek, you have the word makrothumia, which is what Paul references here in the letter to Galatians. He says, love, joy, peace, patience. And that word is a compound of two words, macro, which means long or big, and then also the word thumos, which is the word for breathing out violently as in a rage. And so it's also been translated in the King James. If you have the King James, it's it's translated long-suffering. If you have the NIV, it's also translated forbearance, if you look in the fruit of the Spirit. And so in our passage this morning, we see this in verse 8. Because what do we see in verse 8? It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. That's the word there in the Hebrew for patience. And the Hebrew equivalent actually means long-nosed. The Lord is long-nosed. What I want you to think about there is think about a bull snorting in anger. You know, you've seen the bull, and you may have seen it in the, con- in the cartoons where he paws at the ground and he's snorting and the smoke comes out. The Hebrew word here means he is long of nose. What that means is the shorter the nose, the quicker the temper, the hotter the temper. So we get a picture of the Lord is long-nosed. He's slow to anger. He's not quick to fire up and just just wipe everybody out like a bull. He's long-nosed. And so as we consider the diamond of this word patience today, I want us to ask two questions, which are going to be our points. Number one, how do we see the patience of God? And number two, how does God's patience help us live patiently? 
So let's look at our first point, the patience of God. Let's just dwell upon this for a moment. Then we'll see in our second point. Okay, so in light of that, how are we called to live? So the patience of God. Think about all the times in the Old Testament when God could have just said, that's it, I'm going to wipe them all out. Think about how many times you have in the Old Testament where God could have just gone, you know what, I'm just going to wipe them, I'm done, I'm out. You think of Adam and Eve, the grumbling of the people during the Exodus account, the golden calf, Jonah's disobedience, the entire book of Judges. The people constantly grumbled against God and Moses and Aaron. And so it's not that humanity didn't deserve his wrath. It's not that humanity didn't deserve to be wiped out in the anger of God. From the entrance of sin into the world up into this very moment right now, Humanity has been shaking its collective fist at the God who made them and even currently sustains them. We're told that God here in verse 8 is slow to anger, that he is patient in withholding judgment, even when judgment is clearly deserved and he has every right to implement it immediately. God is patient. This idea of forbearance refraining from exercising a legal right, especially as it pertains to a debt that is owed. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All deserve His wrath and justice to be meted out immediately, but yet the Lord is slow to anger. Look at verse 9. Even when God's anger is rightly stirred by human sin and wickedness, that anger does not last forever. Look, it says, He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. And that Hebrew word there means more than just keep. What it means is He will not always hold a grudge forever. You see, we already see, even just a few verses in, we already see why we need to be given this fruit, don't we? Because we're quick to hand out judgment. And we're good at holding grudges, aren't we? And writing people off. Thankfully, God is not like us. And we should be very grateful for that truth. I am. Think about Micah 7, 18 that says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. When you think about your own sin, when you think about all the ways that you have fallen short of the glory of God, we just had a kind of corporate and silent confession of faith, or a confession of sin. When you think about your own sin, aren't you glad that God is long-nosed? Aren't you glad that God is patient? Aren't you glad that God has been patient with you? Even when you were at your worst, God has been patient with you. Isn't it amazing that the older you get, the more you look back and see how much other people have had to put up with you? How other people have been patient with you. I'd always say when I was a campus minister, it's always an interesting point in time. At some point during someone's college career, or when they move out of their home and they enter into the workforce, whatever it is, there's always a phone call that gets made. And the phone call is basically this. I am so sorry that I was a teenager. <laughs> and thank you for putting up with me. I had no idea. 
I had no idea how hard you were working. I had no idea how expensive milk was. I had no idea what the real world was like. I'm sorry. Thank you for being patient with me and not throwing me off a cliff when I was at my worst. You may have made a similar phone call or had a similar revelation in your own life of just how patient other people have been with you over the course of your own life. And we think about this, another facet of patience is also the ability to bear up under trouble that others cause. Isaiah 43, 24, But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. And we're thinking about the patience of God. This doesn't mean that God gets physically weary. What it means is that He has been patiently bearing the load of human sin while His work of redemption moves ever closer to the day of its fulfillment. Have you ever had that realization in the morning that every day that you wake up, you are one day closer to heaven? You are one day closer to the day of the Lord when He will come and He will make all things new. Every day as the sun comes up, His faithfulness is renewed and we're reminded of His grace. But even that day, we're one day closer to His return and one day closer to heaven. But in the meantime, Isaiah 53 tells us that God, that He is surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Think about the hundreds of years of human sin that passed between Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 and the time when the Father sent that promised suffering servant, His only Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for humanity's sin on the cross. Think about the probably thousands of years that came up to that prophecy, the hundreds of years that passed between Isaiah making that prophecy and Jesus coming. Think about the patience and long-suffering of God as he has patiently endured the sin of humanity. Think about the thousands of years of human wickedness that have passed between the cross and the promised future return of Christ. We're, what, 2,000 years in? I don't know how many other years until the Lord returns. But think about how patient God has been. Years marked by bloodshed, the murder of millions upon millions of unborn children ever-increasing persecution around the world, human trafficking, slavery, wars, brutal dictators, social upheaval, sexual abuse, gender lunacy, the open mocking of God, His name being taken in vain, the hypocrisy of Christians and His church, liberal progressive clergy openly celebrating what God clearly condemns in the Scripture, Think about how patient God has been. He has been so long-nosed. He has been so patient. When we think about these years that are just marked, this world that we live in that's marked by sin and people shaking their fist at God and mocking Him openly, man, God has been patient, has He not been? And aren't you grateful for that? I am. But look at verse 10. Even as he has been bearing up under the load and weight of human sin, as he has been patient. Look at verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. God has not fully dealt with us as our sins deserve. And he has not repaid us fully according to our iniquity that is deserved. And I am grateful for that. He's kind. 
Why? Why has God been about this work? Why has he been patient? Because God's plan of redemption is still underway as he gathers his beloved sheep into the sheepfold. This is a covenant promise. Look at verses 17 and 18 in the Psalms. We, we hear about this covenant promise, this steadfast love of the Lord. We talked about that Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. God's covenant faithfulness, his loving kindness, his steadfastness, his faithfulness. God's covenant promise is still in play and his heart is good. Look at verses 13 and 14. He's described as a father who shows compassion to his children. And he remembers that we are dust. God's plan of redemption is still underway. This promise that God, that the, that the Father made to the Son that we looked at in John chapter 6. Remember our long study of John? Way back when, when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Here's what Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What an amazing promise. That work is ongoing right now in the hearts and minds of people all across the globe. And God is patient, bearing up under the wickedness of humanity as he gathers his sheep in. God sits enthroned in the heavens, as we're told in verse 19. And he is enthroned in the heavens over all that he has made, and he endures the ignorant mocking of those who dwell in his creation and who have forgotten their place. Look at what verses 15 and 16 say as we're reminded. God is high and lifted up, and he is sovereign. Who are we in comparison to that? Look at verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. We're reminded, look in Romans, or, or reminded in Romans chapter 9, verses 22 and 23 of the just patient, sovereign mercy of God. Romans 9, 22 and 23 says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience, there's our word, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. The patience and long-suffering of God, bearing up and enduring the mocking of humanity as his sheep are being drawn in in the fullness of time. God has patiently endured the foolish ranting and raving of a fallen humanity for thousands of years, to ensure that not a single divinely foreloved and elect sheep is lost. All that the Father has given to me will come to me. That work is ongoing right now, and I am grateful for that. Here's what Christopher Wright said in his really helpful book. He said, so when Paul tells us that the Spirit of God will produce the fruit of patience in our lives, he's reminding us that the God of the Bible is the God who has borne our sin who carried it himself in the person of his son, taking upon his own shoulders his righteous anger against all evil and wickedness. That is the true cost of God's patience, and that leads directly to Jesus. The supreme example of the patience of God is Christ upon the cross. Remember, the whole Bible focuses on him. We've said the Bible's not about you. The Bible is about God and what he has done by sending this promised Savior into the world.
to bear our sin far away from us. If you are here this morning, look at the promise in verse 13. And God's heart disposition towards you as a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to all those who fear him. And that word fear is awe and reverence and honor. As we've talked about before and we've already heard, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us as we see in verse 12. Theologically, there's a fancy word for this, and that word is expiation, E-X-P-I-A-T-I-O-N, expiation. And what that means is the taking away of the penalty of sin by atonement and the work of someone else. And so, it is with every fruit that we find ourselves once again looking to Christ. As we've said, where do we go to dwell upon these fruit? We don't look to ourselves. Because we can't do this on our own. That way it'd be the fruit of your own effort. But it's not that, is it? It's called the fruit of the Spirit. So what do we look to? We look to Christ over and over again. We look to Christ not only as our Savior, but also as our example. As we're called to imitate Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jerry Bridges said the best way to develop this slowness of anger, this patience, this long nose, is to reflect frequently on the patience of God towards us. Again, we talked about, remember the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What do we dwell upon? The love of God towards us. We love because He first loved us. So how are we called to be patient? We're patient because God has been patient with us first. You get it in that proper gospel order. We are patient because God has been patient with us first. And then he calls us then to live out of that patience, which is our second point, which is shorter than the first, a call to live patiently. So we see in the first point the patience of God. He's long-nosed, he's long-suffering. So so what? How are we called to live in light of that? That's a call to live patiently as we see the fruit borne out. And what's this look like? What's that look like? We remember the patience of God when we are mocked, when we are ridiculed, when we are mistreated. We remember the patience of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12-13. through 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, there's another fruit of the Spirit, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Although Christopher Wright had, again, this great quote, he said, In the midst of such suffering and persecution, there is a legitimate kind of impatience too. It is right that we should cry out to God and pray that He would bring it to an end, as He promised that He will. And we come before the Lord and we echo the words of the psalmist, Lord, how long? How long, O Lord, will you please bring this to an end? But even if you don't, help me to bear up patiently under it. Help me to trust your divine will. Help me to trust your sovereign hand and your providence in the midst of it. Lord, please bring it to an end. But even if you don't, help me to bear up under it as you give me the strength. We remember the patience of God when we see injustice and trust that in the end the judge of all the earth will make it right. Even if the human courts fail, the judge of all the earth will do right. 
We remember the patience of God when we feel that urge to leave a snarky comment on social media because we always have to get the last word in because we always have to be right. At some point, we say, Lord, help me to be patient. Help me just to, just, I don't have to lash out. Lord, help me to calm down. We remember the patience of God when the actions of others provoke us to anger. This is the idea of forbearance, another way that this word is translated in the NIV. Again, Christopher Wright, forbearance is when you choose to forgive people rather than hold a grudge against them. Aren't you grateful that the Lord does not hold a grudge against you because of Christ? That your sin has been dealt with. Remember, that's the fruit of the Spirit that we looked at last week. The peace of God. We have peace with God because of the cross of Christ. What that means is God's heart and disposition towards you. Your sin debt has been dealt with and paid for at the cross. And so now instead of enmity and strife and warfare, God's disposition because of His Son is one of peace. We remember the patience of God and we remember our own shortcomings when we're annoyed by the failures and shortcomings of others. Christopher Wright again, forbearance is when you learn to be patient with others mainly because you are well aware of your own shortcomings and weaknesses. It means you remember that other people are also having to be forbearing with you. Isn't that a good reminder? That we all remember our own failures and shortcomings when we deal with others. I am going to disappoint you. I probably already have multiple times. But we think about the idea of forbearance and patience and kindness. We extend that because God has done that for us first. We don't hold grudges because God does not hold a grudge against us. We're able to bear up patiently under the insults and shortcomings and weaknesses of others because God has done that for us first. And we live in light of the proper gospel order that propels us to live a patient life. We remember the patience of God when we pray and remember that He sits on the throne and He's working all things according to His sovereign plan. Jerry Bridges said this, The cure for impatience with the fulfillment of God's timetable is to believe His promises, obey His will, and leave the results to Him. We pray with fervency, we pray with persistence, but we trust His timeline. We remember the patience of God when we face difficult circumstances and we ask the Lord to give us patient endurance and a forward-looking hope. We remember and we trust in the promises of God and say, Lord, I know you're going to make this right in the end. And so help me lean into that. Help me to lean into your word. What's the ultimate example of all of this? You probably guessed it. It's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus Christ himself. Again, Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 1 Peter 2, 21-24. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you may follow in his steps. He committed, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. So what do we do in the midst of this? We look to Christ. 
We ask the Holy Spirit to give us more of the fruit of the patience. We say, Lord, I don't have this in myself. Help me to look to Christ. Give me more of this type of patience. And pray that God will use us in some small way to help others see the life-changing power of the gospel as the fruit in our own life spills out into the world around us as we patiently endure. Let me close with this. There was a guy who was known as the Bishop of the South Pacific. His name was John Selwyn. And he had at one time been recognized for his boxing skill. And touched by the Holy Spirit's convicting power, he later became an Anglican priest and a missionary. And the Southport Methodist Magazine, many, 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 many years ago, reported that one day this saintly leader reluctantly gave a stern but loving rebuke to a man who regularly attended the local church. The disorderly one resented the advice and angrily struck Selwyn with a violent blow in the face with his clenched fist. In return, the missionary merely folded his arms and humbly looked into the man's blazing eyes. With his boxing skill and powerful rippling muscles, he could have easily knocked out his antagonist. Instead, he turned the other cheek and waited calmly to be hit a second time. And this was too much for the assailant who became greatly ashamed and fled into the jungle. Oh, but that's not where the story ends. Years later, that same man who punched Selwyn in the face later trusted Christ as his Savior and gave his testimony before the church. And it was customary at that time for a believer in this country that he was ministering to to choose a Christian name for himself after he was saved. And when asked if he wished to follow this practice, he replied without hesitation, Yes, call me John Selwyn. He's the one who showed me what Jesus Christ is really like. This brought joy to the missionary's heart, for he saw that heeding the Savior's admonition to suffer wrongfully for his sake has resulted in making his witness effective. So what? Why should we care? The fruit of patience is one that we do not have in and our own selves. We need it to be given to us by the Lord. But it's so much more than just waiting on the side of a shore looking at a bobber. It is faithfully enduring, like the, the guy getting chewed out by the ref on the sideline. It's faithfully enduring and bearing up under hardship, bearing up under the weakness and sin of others, bearing up under difficult circumstances, waiting patiently for the Lord. We just sang about it from the depths of woe, when He will remove us from all of our sin and sorrow. And we sang what? I wait for it with patience. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. But what's the call? We are long-suffering, long-nosed, slow to anger. We are called to be long-suffering. Why? Because God has been long-suffering with us first. And all of His wrath that we justly deserved was, was poured out upon Christ. Christ endured the wrath and the weight of God fully. And drank it to the full so that we could know His grace and mercy. And so now we live under the patience of God. And even in the midst of difficult circumstances and trying circumstances and being ridiculed and mocked and being pressed to the sides and the edges of society, what do we do? We look to Christ and we endure it with patience because He did it first. And that's the gospel. We live in light of the gospel. We're patient. 
because Christ has been patient with us first. And getting it in that bright, proper gospel order changes absolutely everything because we see his mercy and his grace and his patience and his long suffering and his long nose. We see that before and we say, thank you, Lord, that you are slow to anger and abounding in love and grace and mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder of your patience and your mercy. We are grateful, O Lord, that you are long-nosed, that you are slow to anger, that you are rich and abounding in love. And Lord, we dwell upon just how patient you have been. All We think all the way back to Adam and Eve and their first sin against you. That should have been the end of humanity, but it wasn't. Lord, you've been so patient for millennia. And Lord, we wait with great patience and endurance, waiting for this great hope, the salvation of our souls and being able to be in heaven with you in this great day of the Lord. And so we say in our hearts cry as, Lord, come quickly, please come. But Lord, even while you tarry, give us the fruit of patience to bear up under suffering, to bear up under hardship to bear up under mocking, to bear up under all the things that you yourself have endured long before we were ever here. Help us to patiently endure. And we wait, O Lord, when you will remove us from all of our sin and sorrow. And we say, thank you, Jesus, for your promised return. And help us to wait for it with patience. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.